Welcome to an inspiring message from Awaken City Church. For more information about us, visit awakencity.com.au. I'm looking forward to bringing the Word today. I, I want to bring a Word that I want to call Learning to Stop and Go. Along the lines of what I think God's been saying to us lately about this idea of breathe and to rest in Him and to draw upon Him. And let me just pray. Father God, I thank You for Your Word. I ask that, Lord God, You would bring life to Your Word. I ask that You would, Lord, cause us to grab hold of everything that You wanna say in and through us for Your Word. Lord, Lord, let us take hold of the words of Jesus that says that we look to Your Word more than our daily bread. That, Lord, we are so dependent upon the life that You give us when You speak Your words into our hearts, when we allow our lives to come in alignment with what You say about us and who You've called us to be. The Father God, I ask that the abundant life would break out amongst us. Lord God, as we're going about our days, as we're going about our weeks, as we're serving in our capacity and our careers, as we're entrepreneurs, business owners, those making a difference, whatever capacity, the stay-at-home parents who are caring for their children, those who are visiting and making a difference in whatever area capacity they can, administrators, secretaries, public health workers, in every capacity, cause us to be people that draw from You so we can give what You've got for us to give to others. In Jesus' mighty Name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Learning to stop and go. I wanna bring a word out of Psalm chapter three today. And if you've not read the Psalms before or or not in a while, the, the Psalms are a beautiful collection of worship and prayer, but very real. Like if I was to say to you, hey, if you've got a spare hour, just start flicking through some of these Psalms. What you would find is that you get the whole gamut of life recorded within the pages of that book. You've got people crying out to God in the best of times, giving Him praise in moments that are deserving of the ultimate praise. But then you've got people wrestling with the difficulties of life and choosing not to give up even though they feel like it. Psalms is amazing because it captures life in its realest form. And the beautiful thing is that when we engage with the book of Psalms, we get to see that the heart of God is a heart to journey through with us no matter what. So Psalm 3. Funny enough, it's the third Psalm. And it's written by a man named David. And David is possibly the greatest king of Israel's history. That much of the New Testament deals around certain key individuals with David being one of the most significant. It's significant because his life couldn't be caught up in just one movie. If you're making a movie about David's life, it's too big to fit in to any one movie. You'd have to make a trilogy. You'd have to do an Old Testament version of Star Wars and make it good, not bad like the recent ones that they did. You'd have to make an old school trilogy. Come on, I'm dropping bombs. And the first movie about David's life would be about his life as a child coming in to inherit the strength that God had set apart for him. It'd be a coming to age story. 
And it'd be about how David was a shepherd of his father's flock. And there's something funky about that. For whatever reason, David wasn't considered good enough by his family to be in the family home. He was consigned to go out and care for the flock under the stars by himself. But how David didn't allow that segregation to shut down his heart to worship God and how he would worship and meet with God under the stars, how he was so filled with authority and strength to protect what his father entrusted in him that when the lion and the bear came to eat of the flock, David wasn't willing to allow them to have a feed, that he would fight back, even though he was shoved off to the side and in many ways forgotten. The first movie would be about a young boy who was so resilient in his faith that no matter what happened, he was strong in the Lord. Be a great first movie. The second movie would be about how David would grow into the greatest warrior that Israel had ever seen who would lead people from the front, who would not simply send people to the front lines, but would run headlong into any battle and inspire people to be great. It would be about the fact that David would gather those who felt disconnected. Funny enough, because I imagine he felt disconnected at different points and would draw out the greatness that God had in them and would help them do great things. That this movie would be about the fact that David would gather these people around who were in debt and desperation and lack and through the inspiration of the Lord, they would start to do the most amazing things and cause the greatest victories. It'd be a special effects movie. It'd be like John Wick on steroids. It would be, it would be busting things. You've got people standing on lentil patches with swords and the, the sword freezing to their hand and saying, hey, if David can do it, I can do it. It'd be the most inspirational story. I want to see that. If we have any pending directors in the house, make that movie. Love it. But if there was a trilogy, the third movie about David's life would be a soap opera with swords. Because unfortunately for David, he didn't remain consistent all the way through. And things started to unravel towards the end. He had a large family and he had favourites. And in the midst of that time, one of his sons grew up with a sense of entitlement and came in to start a civil war. And David's last trilogy would be about how he tried to hold on in the midst of great oppression. He had a son named Absalom. And Absalom would set himself up at the gates of the city, knowing that his father was the king. And when people would come in to meet with the king, Absalom would look for them and he'd run up and introduce himself. And he'd say, man, if only I was king, your problems would go away. If only, if only you only had to deal with me, you wouldn't have a problem in the first place. And unfortunately for David, that at this point in his history, he had detached himself from the people. See, if the second movie was John Wick on steroids, what made it amazing was that David was at the front lines, leading people into war, standing with them, crying with them, doing life with them. But at the last stage of his life, the last trilogy, he was removed from the people and up in his throne room. And because of that, there was a vacuum. And his son Absalom saw this vacuum and started to fill it. And he started to 
plant the seeds in the hearts of the people of a revolt. And what had ended up happening at this stage in David's life is that he had to deal with a civil war that had broken out where Absalom and his people were doing their best to destroy David and his people. Could you imagine that? Talk about a soap opera with swords. And in Psalm 3, we get a snapshot into the heart of David. He's just had to flee Jerusalem. He's just had to cut and run. He's just had to leave everything that he had fought for behind. It was all there. And he's had to bail because he's lost control. And as he's running, he spends two nights fleeing from Absalom. Imagine fleeing your own son. And knowing that if He caught up with you, you were dead. And you think of all the different things that must be going through His head at this stage. He'd lived the life as a young shepherd boy who had been faithful to his own father, even though he was rejected and forgotten. Who was so faithful that when the lion and the bear came to kill the sheep, he didn't allow it to happen. He could have just turned his back. Dad, it was a lion. It was a bear. What do you think I was going to do? No, his heart was such that he was entrusted with this and he was unwilling to let it go. And then when he has a chance to lead the people of God, he leads them by leading them front-footed. And all of a sudden, at this last part of his life, he's running. Could you imagine what would be going on in his heart? What he would be wrestling with, what he would be seeking to overcome. And we actually get a snapshot into it because in Psalm chapter 3, David records what was going on in him as this moment hits. And it says this, Psalm 3, a Psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. I just got to highlight the fact that if you read this in your own Scriptures, that line is in there, not from the translators as a title, not, not inserted as an introduction, that when this Psalm was written, the writer of this Psalm, David, said, I just want to give you context. This day sucked. <laughs> a Psalm of David, when he fled from his son, Absalom. Lord, how my foes increase. There are many who attack me. Many say about me, there is no help for him in God. Selah. Can you just say that word with me? Say Selah. One more time, like you mean it, Selah. This word pops up every now and then in the book of Psalms. And it's a hard word for people to get an understanding of how to translate. So there's certain words when you read the Bible that the translators just said, oh, that's too hard. And so they didn't put in an interpretation. They just put in a transliteration of the Hebrew word. Like there's that word hallelujah. Hallelujah means to praise God most high. But the translators of the Bible saw that word in Hebrew as they translated it and said, man, that is too hard to translate. So let's just whack it in as it is. Hallelujah. And that's the reason why we speak it today in English. This word Selah is a word from the original language that the translators have struggled to understand. See, they know it's a musical term because this psalm was a song. It was a worship song to be sung. And it's meant to be, they think, a reminder for those singing the song that at this moment you pause. 
See, it's as if you were given a musical sheet and you were taught how to play the song and said, uh, here's how we're going to play Psalm 3. We're going to start by talking about the current reality that we're facing. Everything is going wrong. Selah. And when you got Selah, if you were a musician or a singer, here's what it meant. You would stop. Could you imagine if we did worship and we had Selah? We'd be singing and going and pushing and then all of a sudden the word Selah would hit and the whole band would just stop. No drums. No, oh, one day said awesome. <laughs> and stop. And why, why, why stop? Why stop? Because what was said you can't just rush on from. You have to stop. See, some things that are said need to be chewed over. Some things that are said, you need to stop before you go. Because if you rush past it, you miss out on what God might be doing. And so you think about how this psalm starts. It's a song at the end of David's life. It's in that third movie about how everything's gone wrong. It's a soap opera with swords. And he just starts breaking out in a song. And he says, Lord, how my foes increase. There are many who attack me. Many say about me, there is no help for him in God's sealer. Why stop there? Because if you stop there, everything's going wrong. You've lost. And the beautiful thing about this psalm is it doesn't stop there, it goes on. But here's a challenge that I have for us today. So many of us in our adventures of faith get to moments that maybe aren't as extreme as David's, but maybe they are. And we're challenged to grab hold of the narratives, they say. That said, and we're stuck with words playing over and over in our head. That's what David's saying. He's writing down what's going on in his head and he's playing over situations and scenarios, things that have got him beat, so beat that he's left his kingdom and he's running away. And he faces it headlong. And if you stop the Psalm then, it is a Psalm of defeat. And I've got to submit to us that too easy for us in life is that we get caught up with the narratives and scenarios and the stories And things play over and over and over. And if we allow that to be our stop moment, we get stuck. But Selah is not to stop and get stuck. That's not what it means. It means to pause and calmly think on this. But it's not meant to be a stop. It's meant to be a stop and go. See, I think the key to living a robust life, a life that does not give up, a life that moves on no matter what, is that we learn how to stop and go. That we don't simply just go and ignore the problems that we're facing, that we learn how to embrace the fact that God wants to meet us no matter where we're at and no matter what we're going through. And that if we can stop in Him, Sila, what actually happens is that we stop the noise and we allow Him to speak into our hearts so that we can go. What if Selah, if we were to translate it today, if I could submit to you in all my strength as a Hebrew translator, which is terrible, (laughs) is that Selah means stop, then go. Because when you hear this Psalm unpacked, 
David, a psalm of David, when he fled from his son Absalom, Lord, how my foes increase. There are many who attack me, many who say about me, there is no help for him in God. Selah. It doesn't stop there. Because verse three says, but you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory and the one who lifts my head. I cry aloud to the Lord and He answers me from His holy mountain. See la on that. Stop before you go. So what if the key to David's life is that he was able to journey through no matter what because he knew how to see la. And what if for him Selah didn't mean a pause to life? It didn't mean a checking out of life. It didn't mean a removal from life. It meant bringing life to God. And say, Lord, I need You to speak to me now so that I can keep going on. Because if I don't hear from You, I can't go on. What if it's an opportunity to stop whatever's going on to go forward? And I know this is the heart of David because there's another Psalm that he wrote called Psalm 23. And I just want you to listen to this. That came in a different time of his life, but it captures this heart of Selah. This Psalm, if you've never heard it before, I'd be shocked. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of Lord forever. See la that. I'm serious, see la that. See, imagine church, as we journey through and we learn how to live with this sense of breathing in God and living in God, that we desperately need to bring Selah into our world. So when work is tough next time, don't check out in it. Learn how to unpack it and allow God to speak to you in the midst of the pain. Because He will always lead you through and grow you no matter what. When you're facing a situation that you do not know where to go from here, don't run headlong in and get stuffed up by going off the path. Stop. Allow Him to calibrate you. See la, see la, see la. What if see la is about calibration of the heart? What about instead of the narratives for me? They say this, they say this, they say this, they say this. David could have written a psalm about what everybody was saying about him. That's what his psalm could have been. Hey, have you heard what Absalom said about me? And I'll sing about it to you. But he acknowledges it so that he can move through it. We don't run from it. We run to God and allow Him to speak to us in the midst. There's a little season where Rihanna and I were getting into board games there a few years ago. And I'm terrible with board games with kids. Oh, not really, and just said, yeah. Because I just want to get in there and play. And, and I remember when I was a kid, one of the favourite board games I used to play with my parents, and they must have had the patience to teach me, was Monopoly. Who likes Monopoly? 
Yeah, so I think I haven't played it since I was a kid, but we wanted to introduce it to our kids. But I said to Rhiannon, I can't be bothered spending four hours playing a board game. So, so there's a version of Monopoly that you can get called Monopoly Go. Or, or is it Monopoly Speed? I, I, I might get the Monopoly Go. I, yeah. so, so here we go. Here's the game. Imagine playing Monopoly where you do not wait for other people's turns. You all go at once. And you set the timer and you all have two minutes and you just have at it. And then at the end of two minutes, you sit back and say, okay, where are we? Well, we played that and it sucks. <laughs> because you're just rushing through and you're missing this and you're missing that and give me that and give me this. And, this. and it's literally how the game's meant to be played. And it's the worst game I've ever played in my entire life. We played it once, literally. And I packed it up and it lives in the cupboard now and I'll never touch it again. Because here's the thing I learnt in that moment. The best part of Monopoly is that you go and then you stop. And then you take money off people. And then you go <laughs> and you stop. And you take money off people. And you go and you stop and sometimes you have to pay people money and then you trash talk your wife in the process. <laughs> Same for life. If it's all go, 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 it doesn't make any sense. But when we see La, when you get up in the morning and you feel a tinge of anxiety about your day, do you run headlong into your day? You can. I've been guilty of it. I think I'll just work it out as I go. But what if that tinge of uncertainty, I won't use the word anxiety, I'll say uncertainty, is an invitation from the Holy Spirit to stop. And an invitation to say, before I go, I stop. Lord, what do you want to say to me? Because everybody's saying this, everybody's saying this, everybody's saying this, everybody's saying this. And if you go forward with that, you will shipwreck yourself. What if David caught on to the key for living a life that moves forward no matter what? What if Selah? Stop, then go. In this version, uh, portion, verse three, but you, Lord, are a shield around me. Shield matters because he's now at war. This is literally the part of his life that is a soap opera with swords and he is literally at war. He needs his shield. He, he literally needs it, not just to carry as an ornament. He's gonna need it because he's gonna have to fight. But he says this in his Psalm after a Selah moment, God, but God, but God, but God, but God, but God, you are my shield. Not that God gives him a shield, not that He closes His eyes and magically a shield appears in His hands. Not that He can walk out and there's an angel coming down from heaven to deliver Him a shield. God, You literally are my shield. Why would He say that? Well, see, a sword is meant to make blows. But a shield takes blows while keeping the move forward. Oh, you definitely need a sword in moments to make your blows. But if you actually want to move forward, 
If you want to live a life that moves forward and not just swinging widely like a kid's got a lightsaber and just going like this, like crazy, like a five-year-old Flynn and just, it's a dangerous moment. No, 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 you need a shield. Because with a shield, you push your way forward. You take the hits the life has to give and you push on. God, You are my shield. What if through coming to God and Selah moments in the stop and then go, He actually empowers you to let go of the hits that you've taken along the way, to remove the arrows that have been lodged in there, to lay aside the hurts of the heart. And what if when we do that, when we choose to do that, when we, when we take the opportunity to do that, we actually start to take ground. What if God literally is your shield? And what if He's ready to go, ready to be drawn upon in that capacity? But we need Selah to stop and recognise it. I need to pick, Lord, up this shield. I need, I need to come under You. Because in the rush and the readiness, I've lost my way. David says, You are my shield. He says another interesting thing. He says, You are my glory. That's a weird thing to say. You are my glory. Glory literally means there riches, honour and abundance. Take into account this is coming from a king who's been in his throne room. He's got all his wealth to draw upon. He's got Bitcoin coming out of his ears. (laughs) But now he's been removed from all that. What is my glory? Lord, you are my glory riches. Lord, You are my abundance. Lord, You are my honour. And what if He only got there because of Selah? Stop before you go. Do you know in the Scriptures it says in 2 Corinthians, written much later, chapter 3, verse 17 to 18, Now the Lord is Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled faces, beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. What if as we learn to live a life where we stop and go again in Him, here's the deal, He takes you from glory to glory. If glory means riches and abundance and honour, What if it's the heart of God for you to keep on going on that journey to go from glory to glory to glory to glory? What if it's meant to get bigger? What if the work that God's doing in you is meant to grow? What if you are meant to be changed in the process? And what if as God changes you, you get to express Him more along the way? What if the adventure of life is an adventure where we get to choose to opt in or opt out? And those who choose to see La are people who will pause so that they can move on through it. Don't give up. The only way you can lose is to stop and not go. See La, stop to go. And finally, if I can invite the worship team to come up and join me. The psalm continues on into verse 5. David writes this, I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. 
I will not be afraid of the thousands of people who have taken their stand against me on every side. Rise up, Lord. Save me, my God. You strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Why does it say that, break the teeth? It's an old way of saying you make everything else harmless. By saying that, what David was saying is, in reality, Lord God, when I come to you, you make everything else harmless. In a sense of while there, there may be an attack, it will not grab hold of me. While there might be a bite, there will not be teeth that sink in. While there's a movement, you've taken away the sting of it. And I live my life fighting an enemy that I know is toothless. There's a portion of Scripture in 1 Peter chapter 5 where the writer says, your enemy, the devil. Here's the truth. You have an enemy. His name is Satan. There is a kingdom of darkness. There is principalities and powers that would seek to strip you of the authority that God has given you as a child of Him. And this portion of Scripture says, your enemy, your enemy, not, not collectively, your individual enemy, Satan, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom they may devour. And you think, Peter, well, tell me what to do. Do I get an elephant gun? Do I go out with fridge? And, and, and get the biggest shotgun I can and hunt them down like he hunts down camels and makes camels burgers when he comes back from hunting these wild animals out in the distance. What do I do when a lion comes to me, Lord God? What do I do? Do I, do I roar back when he roars at me? Do I, do I get my sword out? What, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And Peter says this, this is what you do. When he roars at you, resist him, stand firm. You don't have to roar back. You don't have to sing and dance. You stand. Selah. I'm stopping. I'm not budging. I'm not moving from this moment. You go. I'm not going from you. You go. And it says that the enemy flees us. David grabs hold of Selah. Everything's going on. Everything's going on. And he grabs hold of the reality. God, You are my shield. You are my glory. You are the lifter of my head, it said. Have you ever had somebody lift your head when you've been down? I don't mean like when they're disciplining you. <laughs> I don't know if this happened to you when you were a kid and you're in trouble and mum comes and lifts your head and say, look at me. No, I don't mean that. <laughs> I mean the time where you, something's happened. And in looking down, you shut yourself down and somebody lovingly comes and just literally lifts your cheek up. And it's amazing what that action does because you meet each other eye to eye and you start to see a way through where you didn't see a way. Selah. I gotta confess, Rhiannon's greatest gift to me as my wife is that through many moments when my head has been hung low, she's come along and lifted up my chin and say, lift up your head. What if that, if I can just submit, is the most powerful gift any couple can give each other? If you're married here today, learn how to lift each other's head, to inspire, to go on. Stop, go. David knew what it meant to live a life of Selah. I lie down to sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of thousands of people who have taken their stand against me on every side. Rise up, Lord, save me, my God. You strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. And finally, it says this, 
Salvation belongs to the Lord. May your blessing be on your people. Selah. Three times he says Selah. Once was to combat the narratives that he was overcoming. Twice to stand in the truth that he was living by. And a third time to press into the fact that he had an endless hope in the future. My God, my God, you are my salvation. You will work all things towards good. That is how you live a life of rest. That's how you live a life where you can be in the midst of whatever's going on and you have enough to get through. That's how you can live life in a way where you're not living empty all the time, rushing to and fro, trying to fill in space. You learn how to sila. Stop so that you can go. Draw from Him. Don't just rush on and miss what He's trying to say to you. Finally, there's a portion out of Matthew 11, 28 to 30. These are the words of Jesus. And I think it captures the heart of Selah perfectly. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Three key words come out there. Come, come, rest and yoke. That word come, come to me. Here's what Jesus is saying. The invitation is there. The opportunity is there. But He doesn't force it. Doesn't manipulate, doesn't control it. Just extends the invitation. Come to, where? Come, come. Where where do I go to recharge? How do I recharge? What do I need to do to feel good in myself? Where do I need to go for my happy place? Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. All you who are weary, all you who are weighed down and I will give you what? What will He give us? Pressure? Expectation? Challenges? No, I'll give you rest. Now word rest means to recover and refresh. See, What if living a life of rest isn't found in retreating and holding out hope that I can just hold on for the holidays? If I can just just hold on for the holidays, then everything's gonna be okay. I'm gonna recharge enough. No, 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 no. What if we're invited daily to meet with Jesus in such a way that we recover and we refresh along the way? What if it's available? He says, my yoke, doesn't give you any burden. What does it mean by that? We don't live in a culture anymore where we regularly see bulls or oxen together, but a yoke was that wooden thing that would hold two large oxen together so that they would, the word is yoke means to be coupled with. It means to do the work with somebody else. Here's what Jesus is saying, my yoke. He's got room next to Him for you to stand. And if you take that position, it's not weary, it's not burdensome, it's not going to break you down. In fact, as you journey with Him along the way, you'll find you recover and you refresh. How? Selah. Stop. Go. I want to encourage you. If it's available, take hold of it. If it's there, it's for you. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope it has blessed you. 
If you would like to find out more about Awaken City Church, visit awakencity.com.au.